Alright, so fair warning, this is going to be a long one. I started out just wanting to share my reaction to the recent presidential election, but characteristically, I ended up rambling for the better part of two hours, sometimes touching on some pretty off-topic stuff like antidepressants and talk therapy. So you've been warned, if you don't like long, meandering episodes, turn back now. In an attempt to try to balance things out for those of you who prefer shorter, snappier episodes, I'm going to try to get a couple of those out soon. I may do one on quote-unquote spirit cooking, and I also plan on doing a short documentary special on the history of Thanksgiving. But alright, you uh, braver souls who've opted to stick it out, here we go. Hey everyone, so originally I had a standard episode in store, I had some news stories lined up. I was going to discuss Pope Francis's kind of doubling down on the idea that women shouldn't be priests. I was also going to discuss some crazy comments Michelle Bachman made about, uh, about how her uh, prayer group supposedly changed the course of the election. Uh, but like a lot of people, I'm still struggling to make sense or wrap my head around this surprise uh, presidential election result. Donald Trump is now the president-elect. So even though this is kind of off topic, I usually don't discuss politics on the show unless it ties into the subject of religion or atheism. Um, nevertheless, I feel so deeply affected by the result of the recent election that I feel like I have to vent before I can move on and get back to normal uh, with the show. And to be completely honest up front, and I feel ashamed of this, I didn't vote. I voted in the, in the previous three elections. I voted for Barack Obama twice. And like a lot of people, I think the reason why I didn't vote mainly was because I, I wasn't crazy about Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. And I think a little bit, uh, I'll give a list of what it is I don't like about each one, or what makes me distrustful of them, at least. I did really like Bernie. Uh, my only criticism of Bernie, and, and it's really not that bad, is I thought maybe he was too much a, of a, a dreamer or an idealist, and I wondered if he would actually be able to achieve his vision or these lofty goals he had, like uh, free education, you know, free um, higher education for everyone, etc. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a dreamer. It's a lot better than being a corrupt politician or a megalomaniacal blowhard. Uh, so I really liked Bernie and I felt like he got a raw deal um, the way he was treated during the primaries. And it seemed like something rather unseemly was going on with the DNC and Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who otherwise I've always liked. You know, it, it seemed like they were pretty much plotting to derail his campaign. And that was pretty much confirmed or revealed in one of those WikiLeak dumps. As far as my own political affiliation goes, I come from kind of a blue-collar Democrat family. I consider myself an independent because I'm distrustful of politicians in general. And I'm just kind of tired of this relentless two-party system pissing match where sometimes it almost seems like you have people 
acting like children, trying who care more about obstructing the other side than they do actually getting something done for the people and compromising. But I still lean heavily left on certain issues, uh, gay rights, pot legalization. As a non-believer, I'm very passionate about the separation of church and state, um, etc., that, that kind of stuff. And so since I didn't care for either Trump or Hillary, really, and since uh, Bernie's campaign got kind of derailed, I was stuck with either trying to choose the lesser of two evils or, you know, vote out of principle for a third party candidate who probably wouldn't get elected. Uh, to be honest, I don't really care for Gary Johnson either. The way he handled himself in certain interviews led me to possibly question his sanity. Uh, I say that half jokingly, but uh, yeah, the way he carried himself didn't necessarily instill much confidence. And then um, I actually really like Jill Stein as a person. I think she's a smart, charismatic individual. Uh, I liked a lot of her ideas, but I thought some of her inclinations were kind of too fringe for me. Um, in fairness to her, I never heard her fully commit to, say, being anti-vaccination or anti-Wi-Fi in schools, but she kind of flirted with those things. And to be honest, I think scientifically, I think it's good to, you know, further research things like vaccines and Wi-Fi, just in case there may be issues that we weren't aware of that could pose some kind of health risks. I strongly believe in vaccinations. I think it's been proven that when you backslide with vaccinations, certain diseases that were previously held at bay start to gain a foothold again. Um, I, I think it's extremely irresponsible to try to dissuade people from getting vaccinations. Uh, but I don't think there's anything wrong with scientifically wondering if, you know, maybe there might be something in vaccines that might have certain health implications or something like that, or whether or not there might be something with Wi-Fi that unbeknownst to us might pose some kind of health risks. But right now, you know, uh, I'm surrounded by electronic devices. I have no concerns about being exposed to Wi-Fi. I'm sure the crap processed food that I eat day in and day out probably poses more of a health risk to me than Wi-Fi ever will. But anyway, why not? Here's a little bit regarding the safety of Wi-Fi from, you guessed it, Wikipedia. The World Health Organization says no health effects are expected from exposure to RF fields from base stations and wireless networks, but notes that they promote research into effects from other RF sources. Although the World Health Organization's International Agency for Research on Cancer later classified radiofrequency electromagnetic fields as possibly carcinogenic to humans, Group 2B, a category used when a casual association is considered credible, but when chance, bias, or confounding cannot be ruled out with reasonable confidence. This was based on risks associated with wireless phone use rather than Wi-Fi networks. The United Kingdom's Health Protection Agency reported in 2007 that exposure to Wi-Fi for a year results in the same amount of radiation from a 20-minute mobile phone call. 
I can't believe I'm actually going into the safety of vaccines and uh, Wi-Fi. Hopefully I don't sound like I've tumbled down the rabbit hole. But anyway, not to digress, I'm trying to uh, rein myself in. But I'm looking at uh, Stein's, not Ben Stein, I definitely wouldn't vote for that guy, Jill Stein's Wikipedia page for what's worth. In fairness to her, it says under uh, vaccines and regulation, in an interview with the Washington Post, Stein stated that vaccines have been absolutely critical in ridding us of the scourge of many diseases and said that there were concerns among physicians about what the vaccination schedule meant, the toxic substances like mercury, which used to be rampant in vaccines. There were real questions that needed to be addressed. I think some of them at least have been addressed. I don't know if all of them have been addressed. The Guardian says that research has shown schedule-related concerns about vaccines to be unfounded and that delays to vaccines actually put children at greater risk. So... Yeah, you can see, like, she doesn't completely commit to the idea that vaccines are bad. In fact, she readily admits that they've helped us stave off uh, horrible diseases. So maybe, maybe you could say she flirts with anti-vaxxer ideology a a little. But like I said earlier, I mean, it it could just be, I mean, she's a doctor, right? So she just might have some scientific concerns about what might be in certain vaccines, but she doesn't believe in throwing the baby out with the bathwater and getting rid of vaccines, which to me would be absolutely disastrous and foolhardy. And there's a section on spending on scientific research. In 2012, Vote Smart reported that Stein wanted to slightly decrease spending on space exploration. And when I read that, I found that very off-putting. But then it says in 2016, Stein said NASA funding should be increased, arguing that by having the military budget, more money could be directed towards exploring space instead of destroying planet Earth. And I'm very pro-space exploration and the advancement of scientific uh, research and innovation. To be honest, I'm not sure what the practical and defense implications would be of having uh, the military or defense budget. But I think there probably is a lot of wasteful military spending. Uh, I think it's Bill Maher who always talks about all the money that's wasted, uh, billions of dollars on on things like planes or tanks or vehicles that either never get used or end up just getting scrapped. Yeah, another way we could save money is not getting bogged down in unnecessary wars. No doubt about that. And that money could probably be used to improve the quality of life of people here at home and be put into things like scientific research and space exploration. Yeah, so I'm pretty much with her on that one. And another thing that made me a bit wary of voting for Jill Stein is that it's been suggested that she maybe has some sympathies for um, some far left, possibly even violent radicals. And uh, once again, I say that as someone who's left-leaning myself. Uh, I think her VP pick himself, um, I'm trying to remember his name. I think it's a Jammu Baraka or something like that. He had said some kind of eyebrow-raising stuff regarding ISIS and the Paris attacks and uh, and that kind of thing. So there was enough about Jill Stein. I mean, I still like some stuff about her. I, I, I like her as a person. Never met her personally, but just from watching uh, interviews with her and whatnot. But 
there was enough there to, in the end, deter me from wanting to to vote for her as well. And I have to admit, like many, I was indeed surprised or stunned by Trump's victory. But I, I kind of knew that the race might be close, even though I still thought Hillary Clinton would win. Um, so I had contemplated just voting, bringing myself somehow to vote for Hillary Clinton, just in an attempt to keep Trump out of the White House. I mean, in the end, uh, Massachusetts as a whole did go for Hillary. So um, maybe that eases my conscience a little, knowing that even though I didn't vote, nevertheless, our electoral votes still went to her. But it wasn't until maybe like a couple of days before the election that I started having thoughts about voting for her just out of desperation. Okay, so, I mean, it was driving me crazy. So I don't like saying kind of inflammatory things if I don't have the facts to back it up. So when I was talking about her maybe having sympathy for kind of radical figures. Okay, so there's a section in the Wikipedia page, which I backed up by looking elsewhere, but this kind of sums it up nicely. In her acceptance speech for the Green Party nomination, she called for ending the war on whistleblowers and freeing the political prisoners. And there's some of these people in here who aren't violent at all and that I agree with, uh, agree on pardoning, like Chelsea Manning. But she also names Leonard Peltier and Mumia Abu-Jamal. Um, I don't know enough about Leonard Peltier as, as much as I probably should. I know that back in the day he was involved in a standoff with the FBI and ended up killing federal agents. Mumia Abu-Jamal, I, I believe, ended up killing um, a uh, law enforcement officer as well. I, I think he, he killed a cop. Let's see, uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal, born Wesley Cook, is a political activist and journalist who was convicted of murder and sentenced to death. Uh, I think his sentence was later commuted to life in prison. On December 9th, 1981, Faulkner was fatally shot while conducting a routine traffic stop of Abu Jamal's brother, William Cook. Abu Jamal was found at the scene with a bullet wound from Faulkner's gun and his own discharged revolver beside him. He was, uh, he was arrested and charged with Faulkner's murder. Prosecution witnesses identified Abu Jamal as the shooter and two testified that he had confessed to shooting Faulkner. So, I mean, right there, I mean, that doesn't tell me. I don't know if, you know, did the cop shoot first? Um... Or did Mumia Abu-Jamal you know, have a chip on his shoulder against cops and he fired? You know, I have, I have no idea. Um, Leonard Peltier, uh, born September 12, 1944, is a Native American activist and member of the American Indian Movement. In 1977, he was convicted and sentenced to two consecutive terms of life imprisonment for first-degree murder and the shooting of two Federal Bureau of Investigation agents during a 1975 conflict on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. So, I mean, that there, that doesn't give me a lot to go on either. And, and I have a lot of respect and admiration and kind of pathos for the indigenous people of America, for the, uh, the Native American peoples. Um, and I don't know what the details of that Leonard Peltier case are. Did the FBI overstep their bounds? Did Peltier kill them in cold blood? I have no idea. But, um, but just the idea that she had stated she was for a pardon for these people 
when I d didn't know and still don't know whether they're guilty of uh, their crimes or why in each case they pulled the trigger. That was enough to kind of put me off. But anyway, so election night. You may question my choice of uh, media coverage <laughs> or which media outlet I chose, but I decided to watch the Drunken Peasants live coverage of the election. In case you're not familiar, the Drunken Peasants is a, a video podcast on YouTube hosted by the amazing atheist. Uh, I know quite the divisive figure, but I like him personally. I know he can be pretty over the top, but I actually, maybe it's a kind of vicarious thing for me since I'm not over the top. I, I kind of get my kicks by watching over the top people. But uh, yeah, so the Drunken Peasants is the amazing atheist, his brother, and, you know, one of his best friends. And I have to say, you know, they're kind of self-effacing. They describe themselves as a bunch of dumb stoners, uh, but they're actually pretty smart guys. And... Uh, Amazingly up to speed on current events for a bunch of quote-unquote dumb stoners. And they had an electoral map, and they were kind of doing the math as they went along, figuring out what routes to victory each candidate had left, how many electoral votes they'd need, um, et cetera, et cetera. And they were, during their live stream, which was about seven hours long, they were going back and forth between different news outlets, uh, CNN, MSNBC, etc. And they were repeatedly joking about it, but they were right. They were actually calling states for certain candidates before these re supposedly reputable media outlets like CNN were. The drunken peasants would say, there's no, okay, this state's going to Trump, this state's going to Hillary. And then five or sometimes 20 or 40 minutes later, CNN would make the same call they had made earlier. So I don't think I made a bad choice by uh, choosing to watch The Drunken Peasants. And as the night went on, um, things really started to tighten up. And a lot of these key states started going in, in Trump's favor. And it's kind of funny. Uh, TJ, the amazing atheist, and his brother had a bet. Neither one of them liked Trump and neither one of them really liked Hillary either. But just for a bet, you know, uh, the Amazing Atheist thought Trump was going to win and his brother thought Hillary was going to win and they had a thousand dollar bet on it. And at the beginning, they were all giving TJ a hard time saying that by the end of the night, you're going to owe your brother a thousand dollars because, you know, Hillary's going to win. And then things started to turn and, and at the, the night ended with the Amazing Atheist's brother on his knees before TJ offering him up thousand dollars because he had lost the bet and unfortunately Hillary had not won and even though I'm not a Hillary supporter um, I say unfortunately because I much would have rather have seen Hillary in the White House than um, Donald Trump and even with all the issues I have with Hillary I still would have found it moving to see a woman elected president and I hope that at some point during my lifetime I will get to see that and part of the reason, admittedly, why I voted for Barack Obama is because I wanted to see this historic moment, you know, a person of color elected to the highest office in the land. But I would not have voted for Barack Obama if I didn't think he was up for the job or if I didn't, you know, if I didn't think he was competent or if I found myself disagreeing with his agenda or talking points or whatever. 
as I think, you know, I joked about on the show before, you know, if uh, if you had replaced Barack Obama with Ben Carson, first black president or not, I wouldn't have been voting for him. And uh, with Hillary, you know, I, I would love to see a female president, but it's got to be the right person. You can't be voting for them just because of their gender. Although, as I said, out of desperation, I was getting ready to vote for Hillary towards the end. Yeah, it was very surreal. Um, I think a night before the election, I started this new asthma medicine. I'm still experimenting with all these asthma medicines, trying to find inhaled drugs that don't mess with my uh, singing and podcasting voice, but are efficacious regarding you know the treatment of my asthma. And I started taking this drug that was originally only prescribed for COPD patients, but recently they okayed it for asthma maintenance as well. It's called Spiriva. And it's this crazy, like, really complicated inhaler thing. And it's it lasts for 24 hours. And for some reason, the first night I took it and the following night, which was the night of the election, I almost felt like it was like taking a rip off a bong or something. Almost immediately, just my kind of mood and perception seemed a little off. I looked up the side effects and saw nothing about, you know, altered mood or anything like that. But something about the drug did induce a kind of unpleasant feeling or just made me feel kind of out of it or off. I don't know what it is, but I know the drug works by manipulating acetylcholine, which is a powerful neurotransmitter, uh, which plays a big role in muscle control. Um, and actually, that's how the drug works. It relaxes the uh, smooth muscle in your lungs. And I actually think it's acetylcholine that's affected by uh, the drug curare that some primitive peoples use to paralyze animals when hunting, etc. So who knows? You know, and they, doctors try to tell you that with inhaled asthma drugs, you don't have to worry about side effects as much other than topical things like oral thrush or um, dysphonia, you know, uh, changes to your voice, things like that. Because since most of the inhaled drug stays in your lungs, um, you know, not as much makes it into the bloodstream. So you don't have to worry about side effects as much, but that always sounded like bullshit to me because anyone who smokes cigarettes or pot knows that, uh, an inhaled substance can make its way into your bloodstream, into your brain pretty darn uh, quickly. I'm sure they try to find a compromise between the efficacy of the drug and how much makes it into the bloodstream, etc. But I, I, doctors seem to like to try to tell you, don't worry too much about, you know, the, the systemic side effects of inhaled drugs. But I think obviously enough does make it into your blood to... Uh, maybe be a cause for some concern or to be concerned about some side effects. Man, am I digressing now. But anyway, so something about this inhaled drug just made me feel kind of wacky, almost like when you're having a, a bad pot experience. And remember it was last winter when I was weaning off of antidepressants and took a huge rip off of a bong at <laughs> a Christmas party and ended up having this absolutely nightmarish experience. If you missed it, go to YouTube or into the Podbean archives and look for an episode called, uh, I think it's called something like Antidepressants and Psychological Dismemberment or something like that. But uh, yeah, I used to think of pot as being really relatively benign. Then I had that absolutely horrendous experience. I still believe in pot legalization and whatnot, but I think uh, pot needs to be approached with much more respect and caution than I used to uh, give it. 
Um, because I think there's a lot of powerful strains out there and whatnot that can really knock you on your ass if you're not ready for it. Um, it's kind of not your father's weed or whatever. Yeah, but I always had that feeling like a bad pot experience, like I was kind of outside myself or felt kind of disconnected. So I remember I'm just like, I think I was playing uh, Resident Evil 5 while somehow also watching the Drunken Peasants election coverage on my uh, iPad. And I just felt really weirded out. And I remember them more and more saying how it looked like things were going in Trump's favor. And then eventually saying there's no way Hillary can win. And they were in kind of shock and disbelief too. And them saying that, holy crap, you know, Trump's going to be president. And I basically fell asleep around that time. Fell asleep hoping against hope that there might still be some sliver of a chance that he wouldn't get elected and I woke up in the morning and grabbed my iPhone and saw all these notifications on the lock screen saying President Trump uh, Trump elected president or whatever and uh, just really it was just the whole thing was so surreal and unbelievable and so I had a therapy appointment that morning before work and uh, no, not physical therapy or anything. Yeah, talk therapy, like as in a shrink. And no, I don't hear or see things that aren't there. No, nothing like that. Uh, although there's people in my family who uh, who would fit that description. Um, but I don't feel like throwing any of my family members under the bus, so I'll keep it about me. But yeah, I go to a therapist. And if you're a longtime listener, you've probably heard all of this before. When I was in like my late teens, or early 20s, I was in a couple of bad car accidents. I was a passenger in one case. The car I was in, you know, my friend sped through an intersection. We got T-boned. My head went off the windshield and the side window. Uh, about a year later, maybe less, I was in my little car that I had at the time, a Dodge Shadow. And I was stuck in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic on a really a wet, rainy day on the highway. And a speeding van plowed into the line of traffic I was in. My airbag went off in my face. Uh, my car was sent off the highway down into a ditch where it was stopped by a tree. Uh, I woke up the next day not even being able to uh, lift my head off the pillow. Um, and to this day, I don't know how much of the chronic headaches I developed are due to head and neck trauma. And how much is due to, I don't know, genetic mood disorders uh, or some kind of natural chemical imbalance. Um, I have no idea. But I developed these excruciating 24-7 headaches. My neurologist diagnosed them as being a combination of migraine and tension type headaches. Absolutely brutal. Totally, completely stripped away my quality of life. They tried painkillers, muscle relaxers. Uh, the only thing that worked for me were antidepressants. And that sounds weird to some people. And I've had people do this to me. Some people act kind of incredulous. And when you try to say you're on antidepressants for headaches, they think that's your way of trying to make excuses and not being will willing to admit that you're taking a drug for depression. They think... Um, you know, it's just an excuse or whatever. But antidepressants are basically like a first-line treatment for people with stubborn, chronic uh, head pain, uh, especially migraine-type headaches. And the reason is, it's thought that 
serotonin, which is a feel-good neurotransmitter, a naturally occurring chemical in your brain, which elevates mood. Uh, it's the basically the chemical that floods your brain when you're uh, rolling on MDMA or ecstasy. And, um, and it's also a drug that's potentiated by many antidepressants. There's like tricyclic antidepressants, which raise serotonin levels. And then there's uh, SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And uh, I'm actually on generic Prozac. And I remember I've been on antidepressants for years, almost two decades now. And I had no problem taking them. But I was afraid when my doctor, maybe like five or six years ago, wanted to prescribe Prozac for me because Prozac's a household name and I feel like it carries more of a stigma, even though it basically does the same thing the rest of the drugs I had been taking uh, do. So neurotransmitters are chemical messengers that are sent in between um, receptors in your brain. And drugs like Prozac stop the serotonin from being reabsorbed, taken back up by the neurons or receptors. So the serotonin kind of builds up or stays more active for a longer period of time because it's trapped be between the receptors. And an interesting thing is that MDMA works inside the receptors. So ironically, you would think that if you took an antidepressant and ecstasy at the same time, it would boost the effects of the ecstasy, but it actually minimizes the effects of MDMA because the not as much serotonin has a chance to make it into the receptors where it's manipulated by um, MDMA. And I can remember my old clubbing days near the end, because I've probably done ecstasy, now I'm being really candid, maybe somewhere between 10 and 20 times. In my last few times on ecstasy, I happened to be on antidepressants and um, it wasn't nearly as effective. So... How the hell did I get on to talking about antidepressants? Oh, yeah, my therapist. So, yeah, the only thing that helped my headaches were antidepressants. And I had this kind of come-to-Jesus moment, a weird thing for an atheist to say, but I use that term figuratively, to mean I can't, kind of came clean with myself or had this realization that I was probably dealing with things like depression and anxiety all the way back into early childhood, but I just grew up thinking that's the way I was. And I didn't have a name for it. I didn't, I didn't know what it was. I just thought, um, you know, life was sometimes sucky or whatever, but you know, um, it's not like I was down all the time. Even as a young child, I had a propensity for these kind of quote unquote spiritual or transcendent experiences, staring out my window at the falling snow or flowers stirring in the breeze and, and feeling a sense of well-being or, you know, I was still able to have joy at times. But going all the way back to early childhood, there were times when I'd have like these lingering moods, this feeling that things just weren't right, that I felt off. I felt kind of emotionally just gross or not right. Um, my favorite word for it, because I think it really captures it beautifully, is dysphoria basically the opposite of euphoria, where euphoria is a feeling of kind of bliss, or if not bliss, at least well-being, you know, you feel good. Um, dysphoria is feeling just off, feeling bad, uh, having this really just dark lingering feeling characterized by a distinct 
lack of well-being. And I've had moods like that since I, I was a kid. It also had, I think, bouts of anxiety since I was a kid too. So I thought, if these pills are not just helping me with my headaches, but they're helping me with depression too, I should probably be talking to someone and maybe trying to work out whatever underlying emotional or psychological issues there might be at play too. So I took it upon myself to start seeing a talk therapist. And I view it as like just something you do regularly, like getting an oil change or a tune-up for your car. I kind of look at it as kind of maintenance for your mind or your emotional well-being in a way. I go to the therapist, you know, I kind of talk about my goals, what I think is keeping me from attaining my goals. Um, you know, I'll talk about whatever problems or worries tend to be gnawing at me uh, that particular month. And I get a lot out of it. I almost get like a natural high from just unburdening myself and hearing my own thoughts being crystallized as I kind of express everything I've been holding in, you know, to this other person. Um, I usually leave feeling a lot kind of lighter. So I was still dealing with this kind of trippy feeling I had in the wake of realizing Donald Trump had been elected president. So my therapist comes out to lead me back. You know, I'm in the waiting room to lead me back to his office. And it's the same thing as usual. You know, he asked me how I'm doing. I, I ask him how he's doing. And so I ask him, out of courtesy, you know, oh, how are you doing? And he looked kind of crestfallen and he was hanging his head and talking about how kind of off and dejected he was feeling because of uh, the election. And I thought maybe that was kind of a risky thing because, you know, what if his patient happened to be a Republican who voted for Trump or whatever, you know? But luckily for him, I suppose, you know, I'm someone that could sympathize with where he's coming from and who happens to lean left. Um, and I think it's probably safe to say he knows me in a lot of ways. You know, my therapist probably knows me better than uh, friends or family in some regards because I, I share more with him than I do with other people. And I think he was probably already aware that I had similar political leanings to him or whatever. And we've often talked about things we have in common, like uh, we both have a mutual admiration or fascination with Eastern philosophy and religion. Uh, we've kind of traded meditation techniques and stuff like that. So probably not a lot of uh, righties, but maybe it's a stereotype. Maybe there are some righties out there who are into uh, Buddhism and loving kindness meditation and stuff like that. Who knows? But anyway, so we spent like the first five minutes of my therapy session talking about, you know, his reaction to the election. But I, I don't mind. I actually liked talking to him and kind of commiserating about it. But yeah, so, I mean, I mentioned at the, the top of this episode that I didn't really care for Trump or Hillary as candidates. So maybe I'll talk about what issues I had with Hillary first, because that will probably be a shorter list than, um, you know, the issues I have with Trump. So I'm a Gen Xer. And so I, I think I was probably well into my teens when Bill Clinton was first elected to the presidency. And it's funny, so as this teenager, as this young person, I didn't have a lot of interest in politics, but I can still remember Bill Clinton's campaign and watching news clips of him on TV uh, back then. And I don't know if it was just 
I had that idealism that young people often have, uh, or, or what, cause you guys know me, I'm about as far from a prude as you can get. But I can remember thinking as a kid, as a teenager, um, when I saw these scandals in the news about Bill Clinton, you know, being a married guy and having affairs and, and this and that, I remember like the whole Jennifer Flowers thing and everything else. And, um, I remember not too long before that, I think it was Gary Hart. Was he the politician who got caught in some scandal? He was having an affair with Jessica Hahn. And I can remember having a thing for Jessica Hahn back in the day. Jessica Hahn, Samantha Fox. Damn, was that a long time ago. Oh, wait, wait. It wasn't Jessica Hahn. I think it was uh, Donna Rice that Gary Hart had an affair with. Uh, Jessica Hahn had an affair with Jim Baker, the sleazy televangelist, who I believe is still on TV now or online or something, uh, hawking these bonus buckets to gullible far-right doomsday preppers, like big buckets full of mashed potatoes and mac and cheese. <laughs> Talk about processed food. I probably don't even want to know what's in those things. But yeah, so Gary Hart had an extramarital affair with a woman uh, by the name, I think it was Donna Rice, that completely destroyed his political career. And so I was thinking to myself, Bill, even though as some, as a teenager who had no interest in politics, just thinking, you know, common sense was telling me, this guy's done. You know, there's been like two sexual scandals involving the guy during his run for the presidency. He's done. No, no way America is going to elect this guy who cheats on his wife and all this stuff. And he got elected. And then there was the Monica Lewinsky scandal. So even though I lean left and I basically come from a Democrat family, not everyone in my family is a Democrat. There's some uh, more conservative types in my family as well. I've never been one of those people who just blindly toes the party line. I've always found that my team versus your team thing very distasteful. I think people should always do their best to be intellectually honest. And to be willing to call people out on their hypocrisy and wrongdoing, no matter which side of the political aisle they happen to be on, and to hold them accountable. And so I understand why people find Bill Clinton charismatic, but I've never really trusted the guy. I mean, I like some of the humanitarian work he's done post-presidency or whatever. And I liked how after the fact, you know, he was able to come together with... Uh, George Bush the Elder and try to achieve these different humanitarian goals, etc. So I have admire him in that sense. But I, I've never really trusted the guy as a human being. It's the same thing with uh, JFK. My family grew up... I mean, I, I was brought up in a family that just idolized the Kennedys. And, you know, JFK was practically looked at as a saint. And uh, maybe even a martyr, I guess. What was it actually? Uh, I think Marilyn Manson has a song called Lamb of God. I'm just looking at the lyrics now. Now I'm really digressing, but what a great song, Lamb of God by Marilyn Manson. I, I love the opening lines. There was Christ in the metal shell. There was blood on the pavement. The camera will make you God. That's how Jack became sainted. Oh, in the chorus, they actually say Lamb of God. I used to think it was Limo God, because like Candy being assassinated uh, during uh, his presidential limo ride there but anyway yeah so when i found out that jfk was cheating on jackie uh kennedy 
that he was this kind of womanizer who was preying on 19-year-old interns in the White House or whatever. I mean, like I said, I'm I'm not a prude. Whatever consenting adults want to do is fine with me, believe me. But I think that our leaders do have some kind of responsibility to set an example. And I kind of feel like if you're given both the privilege and the burden in a sense, of the presidency, of being the leader of the free world. There's probably only a handful of things that you really shouldn't do. And I'm not talking about policy decisions and things like that. But as far as setting an example for other people, probably a small list of things you don't want to do. One of them's probably having extramarital sex with women half your age in the White House. Now, some people aren't really bothered by this stuff, like, Bill Maher, for instance, I think, thinks we should have this kind of laissez-faire attitude about it. You know, the way a lot of European leaders openly have mistresses, etc. I don't really see it that way. Um, you know, the people elected you to the highest office in the land, the least you can do is show a little restraint. And once again, hopefully I'm not coming across as being too prudish. Not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that. Did I just quote Seinfeld? Uh, but I'm a guy who follows porn stars, at least one on Tumblr, and uh, who could be described as being a borderline libertine in some ways. Not libertarian, but a libertine. There's a difference. But I do have these kind of maybe old-fashioned ideas that I hang on to about, you know, our leaders should set some kind of moral example, and that's not asking a lot. For a leader to keep their dick in their pants, at least, you know, while they're in, at least while they're in, you know, the Oval Office or whatever. Um, but I, I'm not judging Hillary because of what her husband did. And as I understand it, she was actually, rightly so, quite upset in the wake of those events and wasn't even sure if she wanted to stay in the marriage. I think people have wondered over the years if it's just a political arrangement that... I've even heard people speculate maybe Hillary, you know, was a, a lesbian. Uh, it was just a marriage of convenience to help both their political careers or something like that. But no, I think if you look at the history of them as a couple, I think they really did fall in love as a young college couple or whatever. And I think she really was pissed off, rightly so, when he when she found out about Lewinsky. And I imagine she was probably pretty pissed and hurt when she found out about Jennifer Flowers and the other people as well. But yeah, so I've never really had all that much respect for Bill Clinton in that regard. Uh, the only thing that would affect the way I see Hillary in regard to the Lewinsky scandal and all that is probably, um, and I kind of give her a break in this regard too, is I think she spoke very harshly about the women that her husband was involved with. And I think she may even have disparaged uh, Monica Lewinsky too. And I think it's probably human nature to, even if, you know, it makes sense to put the lion's share of the blame on your spouse. They're the one that took the marriage vows or whatever. But it's probably human nature to be somewhat upset with the person they cheated on you with as well. Um, but I think, you know, she was a powerful woman and Monica Lewinsky was this young intern. And... I think she may have went too far in the way she kind of, I was about to say something really gross, smeared Lewinsky. But, uh, see, I told you I'm not a prude. 
and I think even some women have resented the way she talked about um, the women at the center of her husband's sex scandals, too, and thought that maybe she almost acted as an enabler. I don't know if I'd go that far, but uh must have been a very difficult position for her to be in. Imagine you, you're married to someone, you made it to the White House, and all of a sudden, you know, you, you find yourself dragged into a, a scandal like that. I mean... It's, I'm sure it's not the easiest thing to uh, deal with. Then the uh, Clintons were also in, bogged down in other scandals like, uh, what was it, Whitewater and Travelgate. It seems like there might have been some kind of financial shenanigans going on. But Whitewater alone probably wouldn't have been enough to deter me from voting for her. Uh, I think there was other just cumulative factors that kind of, you know, just led to this general distrust that I have of her. Um, and, and of course, you know, if we kind of jump up to the present, I already mentioned, uh, I don't know how complicit she was regarding uh, the way the DNC and Wasserman Schultz kind of plotted against Bernie, but it would surprise me if she kind of knew what was going on in, in that respect. Uh, as far as uh, Benghazi goes, to be honest, I don't know how complicit she was in Benghazi, how much of the blame and onus should be on her and how much of it is people on the right spinning things because they don't like her. And if you don't remember, Benghazi was when the Libyan embassy was attacked and is it Chris Stevens? Yeah, Chris, uh, Chris or Christopher Stevens, which reminds me, I know this isn't something to joke about. Uh, it's been probably like a couple of months or something since I first did that uh Chris in the morning thing. I have to get back to that at some point. But um, I think we could all use a little northern exposure right about now. But uh, yeah, four Americans died in the attack. Ambassador J. Christopher Stevens, information officer Sean Smith, and two CIA operatives, Glenn Doherty and Tyrone Woods, both former Navy SEALs. Stevens was the first U.S. ambassador killed in an attack since Adolf Dubbs was killed in Kabul, Afghanistan in 1979. Yeah, so I think the way it went down is initially the public was told that the attack on the embassy was a direct result of a protest over this absolutely ridiculous YouTube video entitled The Innocence of Muslims in which uh, the Prophet Muhammad was parodied. I think the CIA, I think they're the ones that initially wanted that narrative released. Well, I think it turned out it was actually a planned attack uh, that had nothing to do with the movie, I think. And I think protesters may have joined in once the attack was underway. But since Clinton was the Secretary of State, people have held her accountable for that. And I think leading up to Benghazi, the embassy had warned that they had inadequate security and that you know the security should be beefed up and that the people working there were worried about their safety and so whether or not clinton could have done something to help beef up security whether or not she's partially responsible for the events of benghazi i honestly don't know i really don't i still find the whole thing a little confusing and the facts are a little muddied in my head and i don't completely know what to think my guess is the answer is somewhere in the middle. I think she probably does on some level maybe have some culpability, especially if she could have uh, helped beef up security. But at the same time, I'm sure people on the right took advantage of the situation to spin 
things against her. As far as the email controversy goes, I think it probably was a, a stupid thing to do to use a private email server. Um, and it does make me question her judgment. But on the other hand, uh, people like, like Colin Powell have come out and said that he and others have done similar things. So I don't really know what the hell to think about that either. Uh, the fact that she chose to use a personal server and that there were classified documents being sent back and forth or whatever, you know, for me personally, that doesn't inspire much confidence. Yeah, but I basically viewed and still view Hillary Clinton as a career politician for reasons that I've just listed. Uh, I, I don't necessarily find her the most trustworthy person. And I think in a way, when you get one Clinton, you get them both. And together as an entity, I, I really, you know, um, wouldn't put that much past them. And I think they're kind of really a complex couple. On the one hand, I think they probably really do care about certain humanitarian causes. And I think their hearts are probably really in the right place on certain issues. In other ways, I think they're the epitome of the kind of corrupt Washington power couple. And also, kind of a final note on Hillary Clinton. I don't think she necessarily did herself any favors regarding how she went about trying to capture the youth vote. Um, I think she could have done a better job extending a hand to Bernie supporters. And I saw some, uh, I remember seeing some kind of disturbing news clips about the way she handled herself in interactions with young people who maybe challenged her publicly. There were a couple of instances, uh, I think maybe most famously, there was this kind of almost confrontation she had, not physically, obviously, but a confrontation she had with a young woman. I'm not sure if the woman was African-American or what, but it was in a coffee shop. I think the woman had some kind of concerns and Hillary Clinton was just very kind of rude and dismissive. And there were one in, one or two other instances like that, too. Those interactions kind of really turned me off personally. And I think strategically, like I said, she wasn't doing herself any favors when she really could have used the youth vote. But Donald Trump. OK, so I'm going to go back to, you know, my first kind of memories of Donald Trump, too. Uh, I can remember being a little kid, I think, and I think um, my family had like a Donald Trump board game. And uh, I remember even at an early age, just thinking of him as this kind of almost cartoon come to life, this kind of like shameless self-promoter, um, someone who I, I think even back in the day then was being kind of satirized and lampooned in the media. Um, so yeah, I think in the collective zeitgeist, you know, I think on the one hand, back when I was growing up, Trump was seen as a kind of symbol of success and high finance or whatever, you know, but on the other hand, like I said, he was also this figure who was often kind of mocked and parodied. I don't think anyone, although maybe some people wanted to kind of emulate his success, and admired him for all the uh, glitz and glamour that surrounded him. I don't think people in general took him all that seriously. And then when I I became an adult, of course, you know, he started doing The Celebrity Apprentice. And I'm not big into reality TV, but The Celebrity Apprentice used to be one of my guilty pleasures. 
because once in a while they'd have a celebrity who I really liked and, and admired, maybe like uh, Penn Jillette or someone like that, you know? And uh, as cringy as that damn show was, it, it was really like a guilty pleasure, and I looked forward to watching it. It's kind of funny how they kind of put Trump in the best light. I'm sure that was their intent during, you know, the editing process. But he was this very kind of Solomon-esque type of wise patriarchal figure, and he would kind of preside over the boardroom at the end of the show or whatever, or halfway through, whatever it was. I think when my opinion of Trump really started to turn was around the time of the birther movement or his involvement uh, in it. I personally found the whole birther movement thing to be a very ugly chapter in U.S. political history. I think people are right when they talk about how it was implicitly, if if not downright explicitly, racist or at least uh, xenophobic in some way. I think people make a good argument when they say that had Barack Obama been a white guy, uh, I doubt Trump would have been asking for his birth certificate. And like, like I said, up until then, I kind of liked Trump as an entertainer. I didn't take him too seriously, but uh, I was actually kind of surprised and disappointed when he became the champion of the, the uh, birther movement. And not only did birtherism offend me morally, it offends my sense of reason, too, because I'm like, the guy, as far as any of us know, as far as any of us know that, you know, the person next to us was born in the U.S., Barack Obama was born in the U.S. I, I think it was, wasn't it like the Republican governor of Hawaii who also said, it, it's in the records, he was born in Hawaii. And when they finally, you know, released his short form birth certificate or whatever, that wasn't enough. Trump won the long term, won the long form one. And at the end of the day, as far as I know, and there might be a little room for for constitutional scholars to argue, but I think basically it goes that you know if your mother is a U.S. citizen, even if you're born abroad, you are a U.S. citizen. And here's actually, it's from the official government website. In general, a child born outside the U.S. is a citizen at birth when the child's parents are not married to each other at the time of birth if the genetic or non-genetic gestational legal mother is a U.S. citizen at the time of birth and the birth date is after December 23, 1952. And Barack Obama was born uh, on August 4, 1961. Yeah, so I think at the at the end of the day, even, it, let's say for the sake of argument, he wasn't born in the U.S. He was born to uh, a U.S. citizen. So by default, he himself is a U.S. citizen. So other than smearing the guy, I don't think there was any logical reason to even, or, or basis to question his citizenship. And let's not forget that that presidential candidates or the president-elect is heavily vetted by the government before they're allowed to take office. So if this guy wasn't born in the U.S. or, you know, if he wasn't a U.S. citizen, I, I, th I think they probably would have had a problem with that. But I think that started, and maybe, who knows, maybe uh, Donald Trump is actually uh, that clever in that Machiavellian type of way. Maybe, because I think that's what, began to pave the road for 
his bid for the presidency. Because I think, you know, the Tea Party and the fringe right type of people really started to flock to him and take notice when he took up the birther standard or whatever. So is Trump really a dumb conspiracy nut? Did he really doubt uh, Barack Obama's citizenship? Or, or was that some kind of Machiavellian scheme to start paving his way to the White House? And he knew that would appeal to a, um, a, a broad right-wing base. Yeah, but I've never, I never really looked at him the same again after that. And in fact, I would say the Bertha thing alone was enough to make me not want to vote for him. Another thing I don't like about, I mean, just in general, the overall sense I get from the guy is that he's a con man. I think he's kind of a salesman at heart. You know, he'll, he'll say whatever he needs to to win your support or approval in the uh, in the moment. Oh, what's that? You like guns? Okay, we're going to get rid of gun-free zones. No more gun-free zones. I think aren't gun-free zones when, say, the owner of an establishment or something decides, hey, I don't want people in my place with guns. I mean, I think there is a 1990 uh, gun-free school zone act or something like that. And I can see with all these horrible school shootings how an argument could be made. And uh, I don't know how strongly I feel about it, that it might be good to have, you know, an armed officer or a security guy or whatever um, stationed in a school in case some kind of crazy uh, Sandy Hook style or Columbine style uh, shooting takes place. But I think in general, I don't think the owners of establishments or anything should be told that they have to allow people with firearms into... Uh, their place of business. And then I think, say, something like Obamacare, I think he knows that on the right, uh, it's really unpopular. So, oh, you don't like Obamacare? Oh, we're going to repeal Obamacare first day or whatever the heck it is, you know. And then, of course, you know, you don't like Mexicans? Not saying that illegal immigration isn't a legitimate concern. But, you know, his response, I'm going to build a wall. Um, I think I was reading a BBC article that claimed... If you were really going to build a wall, uh, you would probably need about 339 million cubic feet of concrete, about three times more than what it took to uh, build the Hoover Dam. I think he's a classic bullshitter. I, I think he'll, he, he just says, uh, even if it contradicts something he said the day before, he says whatever he needs to say in order to get you to sign on to uh, whatever it is he's trying to sell you. Oh, I thought I knew I forgot something about why, you know, I another reason why I'd kind of distrust Hillary. And of course, there's the exorbitant uh, speaking fees, you know, getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to give speeches to Wall Street, etc. Um, I can't say that I might not do the same in her position <laughs> if someone offered me a couple hundred thousand bucks to speak, you know, but it, it doesn't really the fact that she was giving speeches to Wall Street and stuff doesn't necessarily um, denote moral character or principle, in, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, of course, Trump ha uh, also has his uh, his weird scandals like Trump University. Uh, there's a lot of people who claim that they were ripped off by that. 
all of his failed little ventures like Trump stakes, the repeated bankruptcies. And honest, in fairness to him, I don't know what the deal is with the bankruptcies. He claims that it was just, you know, it was a, the bankruptcies were savvy business moves. You know, it's just all part of the game. Well, other people say, you know, he was just running his businesses into the ground or whatever. Um, then, of course, we have, you know, Trump and the treatment of women or whatever. I can actually remember, I think her name was Brandy something or rather, I forget. But this is before he even publicly announced he was going to run for office. I think it may have been one of the last, during one of the last seasons of The uh, Celebrity Apprentice. I think she might have been a former model. Like a, a lot of the contestants on The Celebrity Apprentice are kind of, not to sound mean, but the kind of washed up kind of B or D or, you know, level celebrities or whatever. But he had this attractive woman on uh, X model, like I, I said, uh, I believe. And she was really desperate to win or to be picked for something. And so she offered to like, you know, just a symbol of, you know, please, you know, whatever. She offered to get down on her knees. And it was really kind of creepy. And there was obviously some kind of double entendre or blowjob reference being implied. But he, he said something like seeing you on your knees would be like a pretty picture or something like that. And he had this kind of lair, layering look on his face. I remember being kind of kind of creeped out, like, whoa, man. It was one of the rare moments where I'm surprised they let that in during the editing process because they usually try to make him seem like this kind of very wise and, and noble patriarchal type of figure. Then there's, you know, the stuff like uh, the kind of barbs he exchanged with uh, Rosie O'Donnell. I'm not a huge Rosie O'Donnell fan, Um do I think it's nice to call someone a pig or a dog, <laughs> you know? Uh, not necessarily, um, but I think that wasn't like a deal breaker for me with Trump. I think someone like Rosie O'Donnell is very outspoken, very in-your-face, has a history of saying kind of unpleasant things to people herself. It wasn't a skin off my back if someone, you know, gave her a taste of her own medicine or whatever. Uh, but then he'd go on to to make comments about, and sometimes the comments were like thinly veiled or ambiguous, so he could try to uh, claim that it was just taken the wrong way and that's not the way it was meant. To like, I think he made some kind of comment about, a thinly veiled comment about Carly Fiorina's looks. Um, There's the thing about people read it that he was making a comment about Meg and Kelly being on her period or something, you know, he didn't like the way Meg and Kelly treated him during one of the debates or something. So he talked about her bleeding from her eyes or her, uh, wherever he said, um, in fairness, before all the other crazy scandals and stuff came to light, I thought, um, I was actually willing to cut Donald Trump some slack with that one. Maybe I was being naive, but there is kind of like an, an old-fashioned saying about someone being so angry that they're bleeding from the eyes or something like that. Or it even reminds me, you know, you see like uh, Japanese cartoons where the someone gets really upset or angry and they have like cartoon blood coming out or something. So I thought maybe it could have been like that and it was the media making much ado about nothing. But maybe he did mean it that way you know, in the the more kind of lurid and, and tawdry and disparaging way uh, where he was making some kind of re reference to uh, the female anatomy or whatever. Um, 
then, of course, all the women started to come out. But before I go into that, I just thought of something else. Another biggie, which in and of, of itself is probably enough to make me not want to vote for him. And I know John McCain can be kind of a grouchy old curmudgeon, um, but I definitely respect what John McCain has been through in his life. And, I mean, that dude is hardcore. I mean, when he was a prisoner of war, I think there were multiple occasions where he could have been let go early, either by divulging information or just because he, I think he uh, was the son of an important person or something like that. But he didn't want to be treated any differently than his fellow captives, uh, his fellow soldiers. So he he rejected opportunities to be released uh, out of principle, um, which I think says a lot. And I don't know if I would have that fortitude in, in his position or that strength of character. Um, so I'll forever admire him for that. And Donald Trump, of course, said something along the lines that I like people who aren't captured. And he tried to imply that John McCain wasn't a real war hero because uh, he allowed himself to be captured, which I thought was absolutely grotesque. But yeah, all the women started coming out with stories about uh, Trump groping them or Trump saying inappropriate things to them. In fairness, I'm I'm of kind of two minds on that kind of thing where I just did an episode, you know, that special documentary episode on the Salem witch trials. So I try to remember that maybe just because you're being implicated by multiple parties doesn't necessarily mean you're guilty. But on the other hand, my common sense tells me, you know, my sense of reason tells me that often, even though it might not be definitive proof, it's often the case that where there's smoke, there's fire. If person after person keeps coming out and accusing you of similar behavior or misconduct, yeah, it's not definitive proof that you did something wrong and everyone should be entitled to a fair trial, etc. But often I think it is the case, you know, just kind of... Uh, going by our, our common sense and our street smarts, that where, where there's smoke, there's fire. If you have a lot of people accusing you of something, especially if it's uh, if you have really reputable people in the mix, I think in the case of Trump, there was the female host of Shark Tank, who's, you know, an established businesswoman. Uh, there was actress Salma Hayek. Uh, there were some reputable, high-profile people in the mix. It wasn't just, you know people who came out of nowhere who were maybe looking for a paycheck or something like that. So my guess is there probably is something to the accusations against him of sexual misconduct or whatever. And on top of that, once again, innocent till proven guilty, kind of court of law versus court of public opinion type of thing. But when you look at it in context with all the other stuff, I think in the courts now, it must be in the civil courts, I think, um, there's there's someone who claims that they were raped at some kind of fancy party by Donald Trump when they were 13 years old. And rape allegations, I know that's really, really serious. And uh, on the one hand, to me, rape is one of the most abhorrent crimes you can commit. Uh, I think it, it's right up there with murder. Um 
perhaps in some way morally even more abhorrent, you can argue, because of the way in which it, it violates um, the sanctity of a person's uh, body and of the self. Um, but on the other hand, I think also probably one of the worst crimes is falsely accusing someone of rape. And it can be frustrating to us who are on, you know, the outside looking in, who are just people watching TV at home, who want justice to be done. But at the end of the day, you know, we can have these he said, she said situations where we just don't know what the truth is. And uh, so I don't know. I mean, is it possible that Donald Trump had sex with an underage girl, whether consensual or not, at some kind of fancy Fortune 500 type party or something? Um, I definitely don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Did it happen? And if it did happen, did Trump know the girl was underage? I, I don't know, you know. Um, but like I said, when you put it in context with the other stuff, uh, I don't know. It just, I mean, it doesn't look good. And then there's the, uh, what the hell type of entertainment show was it? Was it Entertainment Tonight or Inside Edition? What the hell was it? But remember, there was the leak of that um, audio, and, and there was some video, too, of Billy Bush and Donald Trump kind of talking shit about women or whatever. And uh, then at the end of the audio or whatever, maybe what was it? Showing, like, the outside of a trailer or something. Uh, but then a female soap star comes out to kind of act as the tour guide or to meet them. And the funny thing is the soaps, I think I joked on the show before about how my mother, when I was growing up, used to watch days of our lives. And I think she was actually uh, on for, all I know she, she might still be the, the woman who comes out to meet them. I recognized her from days of our lives. She played Nicole Walker. That, there's something I probably should know as a, a straight male. Um, but <laughs> Hey, I'm I'm an odd person, but, um, and I was homesick a lot, uh, as a kid. So I think a lot of people are right when they say, say that, you know, on the one hand, when guys are alone and as someone who has a lot of, uh, guy friends and a lot of female friends, um, I know girls can be pretty raunchy too. Like I have, uh, I'm actually supposed to go to a party with some of these people this weekend, but, um, yeah, a lot of my female friends, too, you know, we'll all be hanging out and we'll talk candidly about sex. We'll have some pretty raunchy discussions. And uh, but, yeah, guys are known that, you know, when you when you get a bunch of guys alone, uh, things, you know, the conversation can get pretty ra uh, raunchy. And um, I have a really inappropriate sense of humor. And when I'm alone with the guys in my band or just hanging out with friends, uh, whether they be male or female, I can say some pretty wild over the top stuff, but most of my friends kind of have uh similar sensibilities. So it's not like I'm making anyone uncomfortable. We, we all have similar, we all have kind of a similar inappropriate sense of humor. So I think in general, I don't think we should judge people too harshly for saying raunchy stuff, uh, when they're not aware that they're being recorded and they're just, you know, joking around or something. But that being said, I think what was kind of disturbing about what the stuff Trump said about, uh, how it's all right to about, I think specifically, what was it? He said that when you're famous or you're a star, you can just grab a woman by the, you know what? I mean, 
those of you who keep up the speed with the media, uh, I'm sure you know, you're already aware what Trump said. Uh, I'll arbitrarily just choose not to say the word at this point. But he talked about how, and then he pops some Tic Tacs and talks about how he's not sure if he might end up kissing her. So he better pop some Tic Tacs. And he says that sometimes he'll just find a woman irresistible and he'll just kiss her. So let's say if one of my friends or myself said something totally crazy or inappropriate, like, oh yeah, I can just go up and grab a woman by, you know, whatever. Um, I think the joke of it would be that we knew it was the wrong thing to say. We knew it was inappropriate. And, th and that's why it's funny because we know that's not how you act in real life. You don't do that. You know, that's kind of the point of the joke. You're, you're saying something absurd and outlandish. And, it, and in a way, it would probably be kind of like self-effacing. Like, oh, yeah, I'm such a stud. I could just go up and, you know, grab him by the whatever. Um, but Donald Trump's a really hard guy to read. But he probably wasn't joking. But the guy uh, always has that same kind of trout look on his face. So I'm not sure when he's joking and when he's not. But I think he's proven that he's narcissistic enough that I think he may very well not have been joking. And if he thinks that it's all right to just go up and grab a woman by the crotch or kiss them on the lips without their permission. And I've heard people try to defend him by saying like, oh, you beta cuck and all this. Do you really ask a girl permission before you kiss her? And of course, when you're alone with someone and you're being intimate with someone and you know when two people like each other, when you're either already an item or you both can feel the chemistry and, you know, you're both kind of consensually messing around with one another. No, I don't think you have to say, oh, is it all right if I go to the second base? Is it all right if I kiss you? I think the human animal becomes so in tuned in one of those moments, you know, that you know what's acceptable and what's not. When you're looking someone in the eye, they're smiling like I said, maybe you're already a couple. Maybe, um, you know, if you're younger, you're at a party and the two of you wander off to a bedroom together and you just kind of go with the flow. You know what's acceptable and what's not. And if the girl suddenly decides, hey, I don't want to be doing this, you stop. You know, if you lean in for a kiss and the girl says no, end of story, no. You know what I mean? But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about I'm talking about you're not an item with someone. You don't even know someone. But you say it's like they're yours to use. You just walk up to a stranger and grab them sexually or try to jam your tongue down their mouth. That's, I don't, I shouldn't even have to say that's unacceptable. And if that's what Trump was talking about, that's not normal guys, just locker room talk guys being raunchy. I mean, that's, Alan, that's sociopathic. It's, it's warped. And I think I, and in the wake of that, there were some women who came out and said that Trump did indeed try to just, you know, they'd be in his office for a business meeting or something. similar stories, similar to the stories that were out there about Roger Ailes, um, the chief of Fox News or whatever that got let go because of uh, sexual misconduct and even some of the biggest women on Fox News, like Megyn Kelly, who is basically the star of Fox News right now, has said that she was a victim of uh, 
sexual misconduct or assault or whatever it was uh, by uh, Roger Ailes. But similar to the stories with Roger Ailes, those stories about Trump just out of nowhere trying to kiss women and stuff, which is similar to what he was saying to Billy Bush. And in fact, uh, one of the anchors or hosts at CNN, Aaron Burnett, said she has a close friend who I think is like a well-established professional who said Trump had basically tried to kiss her against her will or whatever, um, you know, during a business meeting or something like that. And uh, another thing I was going to talk about is as someone who I don't, you know, I'm not a YouTuber in the classic sense where I don't create content for specifically for YouTube, at least usually not. I'm a podcaster and I release a video version of my podcast. If you've seen them, they're not that fancy. It's usually um, the audio from the podcast accompanied by some still images. But I frequent YouTube enough that um, I have a pretty good handle on what's going on in different sectors of the YouTube community. And it was kind of disturbing when I saw people like Stefan Molyneux, uh, who is basically, or Malamute, Malinu, whatever, who is an atheist, but has been accused of basically running a, an internet cult and all this. And I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I've actually enjoyed some of his content in the past. And I never took him too seriously. I always kind of listened to him cautiously and took what he would say, no matter how eloquently it, it, it was delivered with a grain of salt. Because I always felt that as smart and as knowledgeable as Stefan Molyneux is, there's some kind of agenda there and there's something a little unhinged there, something that I don't completely trust about the guy. But lately, he's been really rubbing, uh, is it shoulders or elbows? But he's been hobnobbing with uh, people from the far right, even from the, you know, the conspiratorial fringe, like uh, people from Infowars, like um, Alex Jones, is it Paul Joseph Watson, who at first I thought actually might be like a normal journalist, but I've noticed him start to kind of spin things in an outlandish way recently. He has a lot of people on who like to throw around terms like alpha male and beta cuck and things like that. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, Stefan Molyneux is a Canadian citizen. I, I don't even, he doesn't even get to vote in our election. I mean, hey, I think everyone should be free to talk about whatever they want. You know, if an American wants to talk about Brexit or whatever. After all, we live um, in a world where political decisions or elections in one part of the world can have ramifications on the world stage and affect people all over. So I can understand why an American would take interest in Brexit or why, especially since America is such a, is such a prominent presence on the world stage, I can understand why people around the world would be interested in our elections. But um, Stefan Molyneux is really pushing Trump and having all these kind of fringy right-wing figures on, including uh, Roger Stone, who is basically a political hatchet man. And I remember in the wake of the thing about, you know, grabbing women by the crotch and kissing women without permission, he and some kind of creepy guest were talking about how we, as ordinary men, or, you know, beta cucks, <laughs> um, we might not be able to understand how women might not just let us walk up to them and kiss or grab them. But people like Trump, you know, they live in a different world. They're powerful alpha males. 
where women actually want their attention. But uh, we're not we're not talking about two people on a dance floor who kind of pick vibes off of each other and eventually maybe things start to get a little hot and heavy. I mean, we're talking about someone walking up to someone they don't know or during a business meeting. Maybe, you know, this old businessman trying to stick his tongue down the throat of a woman half his age or something. Not that there's anything wrong with an age difference, you know, not at all, but, uh, but the idea of someone like a Roger Ailes or a Donald Trump trying to stick their tongue down an attractive young woman's mouth without permission is, it's pretty disgusting. So, I don't know, but yeah, it's just crazy. And then there are people like Sargon of Akkad, whose channel I generally enjoy, once again, I mean, here we have a British citizen who was just really kind of, I mean, sometimes he would admit, okay, I'm not completely for Trump, but I think Trump is the better choice. And he was just really kind of, I felt like trying to steer people towards Trump. So it was interesting to see these kind of big YouTube figures who don't even have a vote in our election, kind of trying to direct people towards Trump. Yeah, the whole thing's messed up. Uh, but basically, you know, that's why I felt like I didn't want to vote for Hillary or Trump. Those are my issues with both of them. Uh, and so this is it. This is it, man. I mean, America, and I know I didn't vote, so I only get to say so much here. But I'm still really surprised by how many people voted for this guy. This kind of narcissistic blowhard who it shouldn't be very hard or very difficult to see through. Basically a con man, a, a kind of... Uh, disingenuous salesman who's willing to say anything to get you to sign on to his agenda. And this guy, you know, mired in scandal and controversy, almost this parody come to life, a, a, a literally a reality star. And yeah, yeah, maybe there, not be, there might not be something wrong about voting in a celebrity or a reality star if they were a kind of ideal or near ideal candidate, which in my opinion, he is not. You know, of course, some people try to uh, compare... Trump to Ronald Reagan, because of course Ronald Reagan was a Hollywood actor long before he was a president, but prior to that he had a lot of experience under his belt as a governor uh, and so on. So, And uh, I think Ronald Reagan probably had a lot more class, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, than uh, Donald Trump. The only thing I can say about Trump that's kind of hopeful is he did have a pretty gracious acceptance speech, and he did handle himself pretty well with his meeting with Obama today. And uh, so he seems at least capable of playing nice when he wants to. How long that will last, I mean, I still think it's kind of disturbing. Like, if he's capable of this kind of positive behavior, I mean, where was it earlier? And Which Donald Trump is the real Donald Trump? I, I mean, I don't know. But this should be an interesting four years. I, I don't know what the hell to think or expect. Before editing, I'm at the two-hour mark. So this is going to be an epic episode. I don't know what I'm going to do for a YouTube version. I don't know if I'm going to have the patience or time to sit down and add still images to a uh, a two-hour audio track. I don't know. But all right, I'm wiped. So later, guys. Mm -hmm.